0: Before I entered seminary, I spent a couple of summers fitting windows, uh, working for a company fitting windows around the country. Uh, it was interesting work. It was very interesting. You got to call into lots of people's houses and see how everyone else lives, and uh, very it was fascinating. Now, at the beginning though of any job like that, any kind of practical job, especially on a building site or anything like that, you always start on the bottom rung of the ladder. It's normal. So you start off. You are the gopher which means, can you go for the hammer? Can you go for the drill? Can you go for the bucket? So, you know, you're up in the third story and the fellow you're working with you know, needs the lump hammer or needs a chisel or needs a machine or whatever it is, and you have to run up and down the stairs and bring up, bring up the stuff up and down. Okay. Um, but then, like, maybe, hopefully, two or three weeks into the work, you begin to realise what stuff you're going to need. So, when you're going up to the third floor, you already have your lump hammer, you already have the hilti, you already have the... Um, saber saw and you already have the extension cable you bring him up already so then you go up and then the lad you're working with goes oh this fella knows what he's doing and then he asks look while you're there will you knock out that window there and you go no no bother and then uh, you know just bait out windows it was great and uh, so yeah you have to learn on the job and then uh, then they might ask you can, you can you mix concrete and you say yep so then you, you know, what mix do you want do you want strong do you want fast drying what do you want how do you want and bottom line you start at the bottom you start as the, the fellow who just runs around and, and then if you prove yourself trustworthy, you're trusted with more. And then before you know it, you're the fellow fitting the windows and siliconing it and measuring and leveling and the whole lot. But you have to start at the bottom. You have to show that you're, trusting, you're trustworthy with the small things first. That's, that's normal. I mean, it's, it's how, it, how it works, and I think, in probably every, every environment. It's how it also works with the Lord. That he, he trusts us with small things, and if we prove ourselves capable, he can trust us with more. Now, just understand this correctly. He's not trying to test us, as in he's not trying to, to trip us up. He's not putting obstacles in our way to make things difficult. The, the goal isn't to make things difficult. The goal isn't to trip us up. The goal is there's a lot of work to do out there. There's a lot of healing that needs to take place. There are a lot of people who need to, who need to be guided back to the Lord. If I can't trust you to do that with the people next to you or with your friends, I can't trust, I can't entrust the town to you. You know. So if we get the small things right, then we can get the bigger things right. If also, like say, for example, he were to entrust uh, a large responsibility to you that you're not capable of, and then it falls flat in its face and calls, causes scandal or. Falls apart, you know, so, so he, he, wants to, he wants us to, to grow up working with him, maturing in our faith, walking with him, always with him, so that whatever we do, we do for his greater glory out of his grace. Now, it's still being done by us. We're still the ones doing the, the speaking, the preaching, the building, whatever it is, but it's all out of, out of his grace. Okay, why am I saying this today? Uh, today is the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord, and just meditating that this morning, the scene is so hidden and in the eyes of the world so unimportant. Okay, Jesus is presented in the temple as laid down by the law of, of Moses to be for the purification of the child and his parents and so on. And so Simeon, a holy man, and Anna, a prayerful woman, they see in a child great hope. They see in a child uh, purpose and and freedom, like some of the things they say. Again, the, the child hasn't done anything. Little Jesus hasn't done anything for them. You know, we don't really know what age he was, but uh, he's he's still he's still a baby, still very much a baby. And and Simeon looks forward to Israel's comforting, and the Holy Spirit rests on him. So the Holy Spirit in Simeon then inspires him, helps him to see the truth. But what does the Holy Spirit do in us? The Holy Spirit illuminates our our mind to recognize the truth and strengthens our will to, to do the truth, to follow the truth, to act upon the truth. So the Holy Spirit in Simeon allows him to see something in Jesus that wasn't visible to the naked eye. And so when Simeon sees the child, what does he say? He says to God, the Father, now, Master, I can die. I mean, it's, you've just seen it. The child hasn't done anything. Jesus didn't work on any little miracles or anything. He's just a child. Now, Master, you can let your servant go in peace, just as you promised, because my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared for all nations to see, a light to enlighten the pagans, and the glory of your people, Israel. What on earth was there to see in this little child? Nothing visible to the naked eye. But again, the spirit in in Simeon allows him to see something that isn't visible. Our Christian faith, our Catholic faith, is incredibly pro-life. It always has been. There's something visible in this little child that, that, that gives great hope to Simeon and hopefully to us. I mean, that the whole meditation of Christmas, I would hope, uh, yes, it's about family, yes, it's about gifts and so on and so forth, but I would really hope that the, the reason for the season is Jesus, the child, the baby. And there's something enormous about the smallness of a child. There's something incredibly powerful about the smallness of a child. A little child can motivate people to do great things, to die for their country, to die for the nation. If you're a father or a mother, you will put your life on the line for your child, but they have done nothing for you. But there's something so powerful about that helplessness and harmlessness, harmlessness of a child they can motivate us to great virtue to selflessness and courage and service and there's something so powerful about that innocence and beauty and for all anybody watching today or anybody who'll be watching later to think that here in Ireland a country that was traditionally known as, as being so catholic if i i, I think I'm, I'm right in saying this that we're the only country in the world, in the world, to have brought in abortion by the choice of the people. We chose it. We brought this in by referendum. We brought this in. 66.7% of the people decided for this. In other countries, at least, at least people can, can plead that you know, it wasn't their fault. Government brought it in. What, what are we supposed to do? We were asked. And we decided for this in 2018. And every little child that will never see the light of day, that's on us. And every little child that, you know, when you, when you see a child, they've got so much potential. That, that little baby, if you're, I've never been, I've, well, I think have I been to a, what are they call it? What's the children's ward called in the hospital? Baby ward, infant ward. Maternity ward, maternity ward. I don't think I've ever been to a maternity ward, unless I was, maybe I was born in one. I, I suppose it was. Uh, uh, each one of those children, right? Those little children there, right? So each one of them has like so much potential, and there you are looking at future teachers and future engineers and future politicians and future entrepreneurs and future mothers and future fathers. They're all there. Like just just give them time, give them a couple of years, a couple of decades, and they'll be doing all of these things. And then when we, the powerful adults, uh, move on in our time, we get kind of weaker and more forgetful. We start to hit our 80s, 90s, and everything starts to fall apart. And we who were kind of so powerful and made all of de- these decisions for the next generation will now go see our maker. And we hand on everything that we've built up and everything that we thought was important. It's all passed on to others. It's all passed on to those who were babies, just a, what seemed like a couple of years beforehand. And so many of those now will never see the light and will never become fathers or mothers or engineers or entrepreneurs or the next Mother Teresa or the next inventor to cure cancer or even people who, like, without doing uh, religious things, the next Mbappe, the next amazing footballer, the next amazing tennis player, you know, the next composer, anything, the next person who makes a difference for the good of society in any way, shape or form. It could have been them. But they never saw the light of day. And it's, I, I, it's just, in the 21st century, it's so hard to fathom how we can justify this. We're so smart now. We're so intelligent. We have access to so much medical research and, and understanding of dna and all this sort of thing we, we know so much about what happens now in the womb there's still lots we don't understand but there's a, a lot that we do and despite all the science we're able to push out logic and say it's not a child it's a clump of cells and i remember when, when kate middleton got pregnant with uh, now prince george Everyone was talking about, while she was still pregnant, people were were talking about the heir to the throne, the person who will now, the help of God in a couple of years, well, a couple of decades, uh, succeed, now King Charles, on the throne. They were talking about an heir. No one was talking about a clump of cells. They were talking about a person. Why? Because they wanted it to be a person. Since when does my desire for a thing to be the thing, make the thing the thing, Since when does me wanting this clump of cells to be a person make it a person? It either is or it isn't. It's got nothing to do with my desire for it to be a person or not. It either is or it isn't. My will doesn't change what it is. And if it's a person, it's a person. And if it's a person, if it's a human, it has human rights. The most fundamental of which is the right to life. And remember, we were, like, we, were, we were campaigning around the time here, and, and one of the, the, the most common arguments which we came across was, yes, rape, all about, all about cases of rape. Now, there is absolutely no doubt that, that rape is horrific, absolutely horrendous, and deplorable, and never acceptable. I, so just like, let's be quite clear about that. We're not just saying it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Rape is horrendous but to propose that abortion is the solution. How do we know that works? How do we know that works? So on, on, on any level, if, if you were conceived through rape, again, horrendous way to, 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 to be born, it's, it's, it's not right, but if that was your origin, are you worth any less? Would you rather not have been born when you go on to have children of your own? Would they say, well, you know, mom or dad was conceived in rape, it's probably better if they weren't here. But look, since when does ending the child's life undo the rape? And in so many cases, the, the child was the healing. The maternal love takes over. The love for that child takes over. Saying that abortion is a solution, it's just, it's too, it's too simple and it's not true. It's not borne out in reality. And even if it was, which it isn't, but even if it was, abortion accounts for 2%, sorry, abor- rape accounts for 2% of abortions, which means 98% of children aborted are healthy, conceived in consensual sex. So you're saying that for that 2%, for those two children out of 100 conceived in rape, we have to allow 98 healthy children to die. That's a, is that a price that we're actually willing to accept, even if it was acceptable for that 2%? Which it isn't. But even if it was, do, do, we, do we realize what, what kind of a price we're, we're, we're paying? And we decided it. We allowed it. The child Jesus... Changes the hearts of Simeon and Anna. And every child is a gift. And every child, the, behind every child, there's such mystery and potential, you know. What will they be? What will they want to do? Where will they want to live? Where will they study? What difference will they make, even if it's small and hidden? Will they bring little people into the world that look just like them? Will they be able to dance? Will they be able to sing? Will they be any good at hurling? Every little child deserves life. And our Catholic faith on a day like today or on Christmas Day, it drives home that message. The Lord trusts us to guide our country. He trusts us with life, with human life. He trusts us to protect it. And this is a responsibility that we carry before him and are answerable to him for. Lord, we pray today on this day of light for an end to abortion. We thank you, Lord, for hopefully what is the beginning of a a turning in the tide of this pro-choice culture the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Lord, may may a love for life, may an understanding of who a child truly is, may that permeate our laws. May we recognise every person's intrinsic value, which is not based on how they were conceived. Lord, may every life be protected, loved, and nurtured. Lord, may our faith motivate us and grant us the grace to do what is right. Now, Master, you can let your servant go in peace, just as you promised, because my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared for all the nations to see, a light to enlighten the pagans and the glory of your people, Israel. Amen.